All right, we're going to spend some time in the Word together tonight, uh, again, in this unique situation. Um, thank you for bearing with this and for doing your best to stay connected and engaged with everybody. Um, I am going to keep try and keep the teaching, <laughs> although this is sort of famous last words, I'm going to try and keep the teaching a little more on the short side because I do want to encourage some interaction online um, and discussion around uh, the book of Ruth. And I know you all have been reading it and have read it perhaps in the past and have favorite points, favorite, uh, favorite scenes from the book, favorite themes. Um, so I do want to have this to be a little more interactive. I want to leave a little more time for interaction um, tonight. Um, so I want to walk through the story, pull out some major themes, give a couple of a couple of applications, if you can call them those. They, they might just more be uh, broad, um, broad conclusions, two conclusions that we can come to from this book. Um, but let's pray, and um, then we'll dig into the Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that um, you can overcome every limitation, uh, that, that even in this unique time that we are living in, uh, that the Word of God is not bound, and uh, that we can preach the kingdom of God boldly without hindrance. Lord, I just remember in the book of Acts, at the end of the book of Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul is in house arrest, and still the kingdom of God continues to be preached and to expand uh, in those restrictive times. And so, Lord, we just set our sights on the reality of your kingdom, and we set our sights on your word together this evening and ask that you would come and equip your church so that we could boldly uh, do the work of the kingdom as your people in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, like I said, I do want to encourage a little more interaction tonight, and maybe maybe not immediately tonight right after this, but over the next few days, I encourage you to um, give some feedback and give some, some of your own thoughts on, on the Facebook group, the ECF Facebook group. Um, and I, I want to leave some time for that, so let's dig in. Um, so chapter one, the book of Ruth. I've got my Bible down here on my desk. <clears throat> it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. All right, and we have to spend a little bit of time there before we dig into the story. We've just come out of the book of Judges, and we have seen that the, the time of the judges was marked by this cyclical falling away of the people of God to idolatry. Um, every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And be it was because of that uh, that there came famine and pestilence and oppression into the land. So this is a time when, because of the people's own doing, there is famine in the land. It's part of the curse that God clearly spelled out in the law when he gave it to his people, that if you do well, if you obey my words, you will have blessing, you will have protection, you will have health, etc. And if you do not, if you turn away, if you follow other gods, you will have curse, you will have famine, you will have pestilence, you will have coronavirus, whatever the, whatever the plague of the, of the month was. Um, that's what would come upon the people. And the book of Judges is, is, a, is a constant reminder of that. Um, the other thing, though, is that the book of Judges is a constant reminder that though the people fully deserve punishment and famine and separation from God, when they cry out, 
it's almost like God can't help himself. He says, I, I, I'm moved to pity. And he raises up a judge and sends to, to, to offer a measure of salvation. Um, and it's just, it speaks so much to the heart of God. Who And this is the same God who, while we were yet sinners, died for us. Um, this is the God that, that is at work, even in the midst of our falling away and our failure. And I just, you know, before we go any farther, I'm just, I, I feel like we should stop and, and remember the fact that when we were at our worst, when we deserved every bit of misery that we felt in our lives, God was working on our behalf. God was extending his grace. God was preparing, putting you on someone else's heart to pray for you. Uh, he was putting someone. He was putting you on someone else's heart to come and share the gospel with you. He was getting your attention directly by the by the Holy Spirit. God was and is always moving on our behalf to try and call us back to Himself, and He is always waiting for us to come back. And so the book of Ruth starts in the days when the judges ruled. And it's just always fascinating to me. I can never really get past that first verse before going on to the rest of the story. That in the time when all of that stuff was happening, all the mess was going on, we see this little corner of Israel uh, where something is going on where God's grace is coming into the earth. God's mercy is alive and well. And... Um, I just love that scripture offers us this story to complement the, the stories in the book of Judges because we are left with, with a deep uh, a pit in our stomachs after the book of Judges. And here we come to the book of Ruth and it is like drinking Gatorade on a hot day. It is so refreshing. Um, so can never underestimate that, that little that little uh, indicator of the setting of the book, which is in the time when the judges ruled and when there was a famine in the land. All right. Um, just read a little more here. There was a man of Bethlehem in Judah. He went to sojourn in the country of Moab. We know Moab was not was not a good place. Um, it, they were enemies of the people of God, particularly at the end of the book of Numbers. Um, and if you remember in the book of Numbers, the problem with Moab was that the king of Moab at that time, Balak, was trying to pay this prophet named Balaam to curse the people of God. And Balaam basically came to the conclusion that you can't curse the people of God, that he is for them, and that you cannot, uh, you cannot undo that. But they can undo it for themselves. And this is what Balaam ended up teaching Balak how to do. To, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And it primarily had to do with seducing the sons of Israel to, to marry and to have sexual relations with the daughters of Moab. And that was the essence of the immorality and the, and the idolatry that happened between Israel and Moab. And they found themselves ensnared to the people of Moab. And this is when Phinehas rose up and he threw a spear through uh, the fornicating couple, and, and there's this great moment of zeal. But this is what happened, right? The sons of Israel married daughters of Moab. Well, that's what this story is all about. It's about two daughters of Moab who had married sons of Israel. 
And so, uh, but, but it's a complete reversal of what happens. And it's, a, it's, it's taking that situation uh, that happened all the way back in the book of Numbers and all the curse that it brought, and it flips, it, on, it flips it on its head and shows how even in one of the most uh, heinous situations in Israel's history, um, God can bring redemption, right? Ruth was a Moabite woman, and all through the book, you hear her referred to as a Moabite, right? It wants to make sure that we remember, remember that she is a Moabite woman. And she absolutely experiences total redemption, all right? So um, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Um, she becomes a widow first, Naomi does, and then Ruth and Orpah become widows. And so you have these three widows, and that's, we open the story on three widows, okay? Um, the names of, uh, the, the meanings of the names in this book are important, so let me just give them to you. Uh, Elimelech means God is king, okay? Naomi means pleasant or lovely. Malon, who was one of the sons of Elimelech and Naomi, uh, means wick, uh, wick. <laughs> it means weak or sick. And Kilion means frail. All right, so these are definitely sons of a famine time. Weak and sick and, and frail. They marry women named Orpah. Um, some, tr some uh, dictionaries will say it means gazelle, but then others, it, it, depending on how you vocalize it, it can mean the back of the neck or to turn one's neck. Uh, and, and, and that makes sense. She's the one who ends up going back to Moab. Um, and then Ruth, which means friend or, or companion. Um, so the death of, of the husbands of these women means that they are exposed and vulnerable. And, and if you know anything about this period of history, it's that a, a woman who was without the covering of a, of a husband or a father was very vulnerable. And, and didn't have much going for her. I would say particularly vulnerable in the time of the judges, okay? Uh, a lot of immorality, uh, uh, no, no real righteousness happening. Naomi urges Orpah and Ruth to return back to Moab to their own families. And uh, Orpah takes her up on that, and uh, which, by the way, doesn't, doesn't appear to be a bad choice. Uh, she's not condemned for that, either by, by Naomi or, or by the narrator of the story. Um, she just uh, goes back, and um, we have to think that that was, that was fairly wise advice in those days, go back under the shelter of her own family. Naomi, though, or uh, Ruth, however, she, uh, it says she clings to Naomi, and that's a word that's used um, one of the places where it's used is when, it, when a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and the two become one flesh. So it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, intense relational word, almost covenantal. It's not always used in, uh, in a covenantal context, but it is, it is a deep relational term. And Naomi joins herself or clings, uh, I'm sorry, Ruth clings to Naomi. And Naomi's response to Ruth is this. Uh, she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. 
Um, that's what she, she says to both Ruth and Orpah. Um, and she says, I, I, I'm way too old. Even if I were to get pregnant right now and have sons for you, you're not going to wait around um, and, and uh, for them to, uh, to, to be old enough for you to marry. So Ruth says to her this, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Covenantal language. Till death do us part. It's not a marriage. But here we have an example in Scripture of, of Ruth, a friend, a companion, joining herself to uh, Naomi. Okay? And this is remarkable because here's an example outside of the context of marriage where the, where the, um, the depth of the marriage covenant governs a relationship. Uh, and this, I think, is, is much to Ruth's credit, okay? Um, she never—she she exercises an, an immense amount of faith here, okay? Um, she makes a decision that, that is a lot like the decision that Abraham made when God called him to leave his father's household and go to the land that I will show you. But she does it to an even greater extent because, number one, God didn't tell her, do this. She just looked at Naomi and said, I'm with you. I am yours. I'm going to leave my, my land, my father's uh, house, my gods in, in the land of Moab, and I am going to join myself to you and to your gods, okay? So she just does that of her own initiative. Um, and the other thing is that she's never promised anything and that she doesn't have any sort of expectation of, uh, like Abraham did, God said, go into the land or go from your father's household into the land and I will bless you, okay? And so Abraham exercised faith in believing that God was going to do what he said. And it's almost like here, Ruth exercises faith that, and she doesn't even know how it's going to end up. She just says, hey, <laughs> when, I, when you die, I'm going to die with you. And that's it. That's the extent of her commitment. I'm going to die with you, period, come what may. Uh, and it's, so it's a remarkable act of, of faith on her part, of risk, we need to understand how risky this was, right? She's signing away um, fruitful years of marriage that she could get, that she could regain. She's signing away children. She's signing away everything to follow Naomi and to be with her, to be a friend and a companion to her. <clears throat> so they go back to Bethlehem, which, by the way, Bethlehem means house of bread. Uh, and so the, the opening irony of the story is that there is no bread in the house of bread. Uh, so they return to Bethlehem, and um, it, their, their return makes waves in the city, okay? And they said, hey, Naomi has come back. So maybe some of her old friends that, that knew her before she left um, were saying, hey, Naomi's back. Um, and she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
okay? I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and these are, these are harsh words, and it's understandable, right? She is a widow, and she has two, she, has, she is a widow, and the sons that could have taken care of her uh, in, in their father's stead, they're gone too. So she is a widow, and she is childless. So she is bitter in spirit, uh, and she is at the very bottom and this is probably what Ruth saw, that, you know, if, unless I go to, with Naomi, she's going to end up in a very, very bad place. So chapter 2 opens up. Uh, now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, he was a worthy man, and this must have been rare in those days. Okay, we don't hear about many worthy men in the book of Judges, in the time of the Judges. We hear about a lot of people that do what's right in their own eyes. Uh, we don't hear about much, many worthy men. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So she's a widow, and she at least knows this about the law, that um, it urges farmers to in the time of harvest, if some falls out, and you can read about this in Deuteronomy 25, if some falls out, you leave it for the widow, for the sojourner. If some grain falls out along around the edges, don't get, you know, don't totally clean everything up. You leave someone uh, for the needy among you. And so she knows this, and she goes and takes advantage of this. And Boaz sees her, and first of all, let me just say this about Boaz. He's a worthy man, and you see all these um, kind of implicit, uh, implicit things about him that aren't really stated. They're not really the center of the story, but um, these these details that come in around Boaz's life, like how he he enters the field. Um, first of all, his his protective, right? His protective nature. Um, he's first concerned about Ruth's safety. Okay, and so he, he tells her the safest place to glean, okay, and makes sure that the young men that work for him know that he has his eye on them. He goes, and when he greets his workers, he says, Yahweh be with you, all right? So he's a godly man, and it, it seems that his, his employees are well taken care of. Uh, they know that he's a godly man. And so he stewards, he seems to steward his area of influence in a very uh, righteous way. So Ruth goes gleaning. This is uh, the backdrop for this is in Deuteronomy 24. You can go read it uh, on your own time. Um, Boaz recognizes this. Boaz said to his young reaper, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reaper answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. Stay here, okay? There's danger all around. Stay here, but keep close to my young women. The, the, the implication being, 
My young women are protected and cared for and don't have anything to worry about. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? In my fields, the young men, <laughs> there's no funny business with the young women, okay? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young women have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? This is the beautiful picture. And if we read this story with Boaz as a, as a type of Christ, which he, which he absolutely is, you have to see in this section in chapter 2 um, just an encounter with the grace of God. Why have I found favor in your eyes? The humility that, that, that a true encounter with the grace of God brings you down to. And I know that a lot of you know what I'm talking about. When you, um, you struggle with your life and you struggle with sin and you struggle with, um, you know, wanting to do the right thing, but then you can't. But then it's like when, when the grace of God finally breaks through and you finally understand it, maybe the first time you really understood it, it's, it's nothing like you thought it would be. And you end up just being humbled. And you go, how do you love me? How do you, how did I find favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? All right? Since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. You signed your whole life away for Naomi. I see that. I know that. I recognize that. And, 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 and you are worthy of favor. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So yes, in her eyes, she's a foreigner and an outsider and, and a broken woman. In the eyes of Boaz... That humility, that type of, um, that level of brokenness where she has said, my life is nothing, I'm going to give it to Naomi, who also has nothing. I might as well just go die with her. Um, Boaz says, what a woman. And so he, he gives her provision and gives her plenty to, to eat and drink. Um, and as the story goes on, Okay, so so let me let me just say this at this point. Um, Boaz uh, recognizes Ruth's. It says um, her her loving kindness. Okay, she displays a level of integrity and um, faithfulness that was certainly rare in those days, right? A level of selflessness, um, of other centeredness that must have just stood out to someone like Boaz in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Um, by the way, this is a great way, um, this is a great picture, I think, and, and maybe this is a, a, a little bit of a stretch, but for young men looking for uh, a, a wife, a, a woman um, to pursue, this is these are the kinds of things you want to look for. Uh, and I'm not talking to anyone in particular. I'm talking to a black rectangle that's on a tripod in my office. Um, but one of the one of the important things 
for young men to realize is that they, they have got to esteem the right things in women, right? If we are led astray by sensuality and by flirtatiousness, um, then that's just going to perpetuate that uh, among the young women. But if we are captivated like Boaz is by true selflessness and true acts of, of mercy and, and kindness and, uh, and service, uh, that is what we need to esteem in the young women around us. Um, married, I mean, it's single or, or married guys. This is, this is the kind of life that we need to esteem in each other. Um, it's, it's not the most attractive to everyone in the eyes of the world. But for a worthy man like Boaz, he goes, I, I, I know you. I know what you've done. Um, I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. There, there is someone like you in, in this place. I don't care whether you're a foreigner or not. There is somebody like you doing those things. Wow, that's awesome. So he takes notice of her. Um, and this, the story goes on, and then uh, Naomi says, hey, this is, this is actually our family member. He's a kinsman redeemer. And you can go read the, the backdrop of that in Deuteronomy 25, which is actually a big backdrop in this whole story, the, 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 um, the idea of leveret marriage, that if, if a woman has a husband and the husband dies, then it's that husband's brother's duty to give, uh, to give children to that woman, to give offspring to that woman, to perpetuate the name of his deceased brother. Uh, and this has to do with inheritance, okay? Big, big theme and all through the book of Joshua, inheritance, okay? Um, perpetuating the name and the lineage of the deceased so that his inheritance can continue in his family line. Um, so Naomi has Ruth go and uh, lay down at the feet of Boaz while he's in the threshing floor. I'm not sure all of all the cult cultural implications of that or what that even uh, really is. Um, maybe that's not so much good courting advice for uh, the single ladies, but <laughs> um, hey, it may work. You know, you might as well try it. Um, if you can find a guy in the threshing floor, see what happens. Uh, anyway, I'm babbling as I try and regain my place here. Okay, so chapter four, Boaz, uh, he begins to uh, scheme. And I think that he actually knows what's going to happen the whole time. But he says, you know, there is actually a redeemer, a kinsman who's, who's nearer than I. Uh, maybe he's, he's one less removed of a cousin. <laughs> um, and he, he has the right of redemption to, uh, it's, it's a Limelech's household, okay? Uh, this is this has to do with the Limelech's line and his name. So he says he's closer. We have to give him the right of first refusal. Um, what Boaz is going for, though, Boaz doesn't have his heart set on the land, but he knows that hey, free land, uh, land that I just I, I can redeem for myself. He knows that this this nearer kinsman very well may may jump at the opportunity uh, to get some land. So he kind of, um, he sets the whole thing up because if you read in Deuteronomy 25, it says that if a brother won't perform the duty of, of a brother and, and give his, his, uh, his deceased brother's wife, give her uh, offspring, then 
you take him before the elders of the city and you, you pull off his sandal and you spit in his face. Um, and from then on, his house is called the one, the house of him who had his sandal removed. And it's a, it's this big, it's this big thing. Well, Boaz here in chapter four, how are we doing on time? Okay. Doing all right. Boaz here in chapter four, he says, um, the redeemer came, uh, the kinsman, the closer kinsman, and Boaz says, hey, come here, I've, I've, got, I've got a proposition for you. And it says, he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. All right, so this becomes an official dealing, an official business. And then he says, hey, there's a widow that's related to us, and you're, you have sort of the right of first refusal. What do you say? And I'll just read in verse 4. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So I'm next in line. If you don't want it, you let me know. Uh, we've got elders here. Let's, uh, let's make this final. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, he kind of pulls the, the switch on him. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, guess what? You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. This guy wanted the land, but he didn't want uh, he didn't want the widow. He didn't want to perpetuate his brother's name. He didn't want to dilute his own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, he said, for I cannot redeem it. And so he basically refuses to perform the duty of a brother, and he's in the presence of elders. Okay. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon and also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses of this day. And they say, yay. Uh, and here's the blessing. Here's what the elders say. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the women, uh, make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Um. So Boaz takes Ruth. Naomi says, um, blessed be the Lord 
Or the woman say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him upon her lap and became his nurse. And the woman, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And this is perhaps the climax of the story. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the book closes with a genealogy from Perez, who was mentioned before, who was the son of Tamar. Um, Genesis 38, remember the story of Judah and Tamar? This was, a, this was a situation of refusal to perform the right of a brother for the widow. And um, this, is, this ends up being the lineage of David. So there's, there's twice now where um, there's this, there's this righteous, uh, this, this, a, a righteous woman and a, a uh, failure of a man to want to perpetuate the line. And somehow these two women uh, become part of the, the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, of bringing Christ into the world. So it ends with tracking the genealogy from Perez all the way to uh, David. Um, by the way, uh, Boaz is, uh, according to Matthew, Matthew's genealogy, Boaz is the son of Rahab, who was a Gentile woman who left her land, who clung to Israel, and who became, who, who, who gained full standing in the people of Israel. Um, and so who better to be a, a, a righteous man, a worthy man, than the son of a woman who understands to be a recipient of grace, a, a foreigner who didn't deserve a place in the people of God, who was then brought in by an act of grace because of her act of faithfulness uh, in, in welcoming the spies in Jericho and, and, and showing righteousness to them. So beautiful stories of redemption. Boaz recognizes in Ruth probably some things that his mother had told him about. Right? Uh, it, it is often not the... Um, now, how do I say this? It, someone who gets radically saved, you know, that you never thought would get saved, and boom, like God does this mighty work in their life, and they become radically saved. A lot of times they start to put all the, the, the rest of us who have been Christians for a while and who were raised in Christians' home, they start to put us to shame, right? They're zealous for the word. They, they are tireless in service. They're, they're humble, and they, they have all these things. And I, and I really think that that was that kind of household that Boaz was raised in, right? Uh, not entitled at all. It was founded on humility and, and, and obedience to the word and, and careful diligence to observe the law, which is why when we come upon Boaz, his fields are well-ordered, his employees are well taken care of, his young women are protected, there is order, there is purity, there is chastity among uh, in his sphere of influence, okay? And he's the son of Rahab, all right? So this is the power of 
the redemption of the Lord, when he brings someone in uh, and, and causes them to, uh, to become a part of the people of God and they embrace his way of life, it truly is a blessing to the earth, a blessing to the people of, around. Um, all right, so four things that I hope you, you noticed. Um, one is desperation or barrenness or hopelessness. Okay, we see true desperation in this story. We see famine in the land. We see widowhood. All right, we see um, people at the end of their rope emotionally. Uh, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter because God has just made me bitter. All right. At the same time, we see kindness and this is a this is a really interesting word i encourage you to do a word study on it um, ask me if you don't know how to do a word study in the old testament but it's the word hesed it's the hebrew word and bible translators struggle with how to um, translate this word uh, a, a lot of times it's it's translated mercy but that doesn't quite get the richness of it it does include mercy um, other translations call it loving kindness at times, and others just call it love or steadfast love. All right. Um, but Hesed really becomes one of the central aspects of God's character in the Old Testament. Loving kindness, faithfulness. It's maybe you've heard some people talk about active love. It's the love that is committed to the flourishing of another at whatever cost to itself. All right, so we see hesed in this story. We see it in Ruth's life toward Naomi, and we see it in Boaz's life because he wants to redeem Elimelech's land. But unlike the kinsman, he's not, he's not interested in the land. He's interested in the widow, which is the opposite of the closer kinsman, who, by the way, we never know who that is. We don't know his name, right? The guy who was so concerned about his name we never know his name, right? And that's a, that's a that's an intentional omission of the story. This guy who didn't want to perpetuate the name of his brother, he's a part of the story, but you'll never know his name, right? So desperation, barrenness, hope, hopelessness, that's all one. Kindness or steadfast love or mercy um, is, uh, is the second one. The third one is redemption, okay? Redemption, both in that legal sense, where hey, there's 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 this land and, and there's uh, someone has died, and I have a right to redeem this land, both the land and the and the um, the widow of the deceased. Uh, but also in the broader sense of redemption, meaning taking something that is that is bad, uh, that is that is dead, that is empty. Right. And, and causing it then to to have life and to flourish. OK, the story begins with bitterness and op and brokenness and it ends with flourishing and nourishing. Uh, it says in Naomi's life is nourished in her old age. And the fourth thing would be inheritance or lineage or uh, closely associated with those ideas are the idea of name. OK, uh, the perpetuating the name down through the generations. All right. Um, 
so the, the story ends with a genealogy and it's about inheritance. It's about the passing on, not just of possessions. Okay. But this is about, this becomes a story about the seed of Christ coming into the world. Okay. So what is this story about? The story of judges uh, is about the falling away of the people of Israel and God's mercy to intervene and raise up people who for a brief time kind of give relief from the consequences of this constant falling away. But during that time, God has always been working toward his ultimate plan of redemption, which is to bring Christ into the world. And we're about to step into the next chapter of this plan of redemption as we begin to talk about David, okay, and the, the king and the Messiah, the anointed king of God. This is a major step toward the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, okay? So Ruth is here to show us that God is working redemption in the world, regardless of what's happening, regardless of how evil it gets. God is working his plan in the earth, and he is using people, not like the judges, right? The judges were very public figures. They, uh, they were charismatic figures. They were characters. I mean, they were uh, all sorts of a, of a motley crew, all right? But that's not who is bringing, ultimately bringing Christ into the world. Those are figures that God can use uh, to deliver his people. But who God is using to bring his very son into the world is the likes of Ruth and Boaz. People who, whose, whose sphere is small, okay? Whose, whose sphere of influence is very small, but whose righteousness and steadfast love is, is big, all right? Ruth is a story about people in a small scale with big righteousness. And this is mustard seed reality, okay? This is why the kingdom of God, this is why God comes into the earth through people who, in their small sphere, have immense righteousness and integrity and faithfulness to who God is. And this is what brings Christ in the world. Samson, yeah, crazy story. But he's not ultimately the one who brings the seed, who perpetuates the lineage of Christ coming into the world. Uh, Gideon, interesting character, interesting lessons to be learned from his life. But he is not the one that God says, this is the line. This is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm looking for in the earth. God's looking for Hesed. He's looking for steadfast love. He's looking for someone, he's looking for a widow who very well and rightly so could have gone to seek uh, marriage back home. But she chooses not to. And she chooses to cling to Naomi just to be with her for no other ulterior motive, right? And he's looking for Boaz, who we, we come upon him and we find just him living a faithful life in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Uh, his, his fields are, are flourishing, right? There is enough, and it, he is a blessing to the people around him. His sphere is small, but his righteousness is big. 
And God is looking for, for us in our small spheres. We, the way that we, we change the world is by micro, <laughs> micro actions of righteousness in our little spheres, okay? And this is, I think this is a good thing to be thinking about now because um, our worlds have sort of shrunken, right? We're not able to get out and about and see all these people and we're, we're limited, right? We're sort of been crippled, uh, especially those of us who, who those of you who, who are really active socially and, and kind of thrive on activity. Um, and somehow there's a lot of you in our church. I got stuck with, <laughs> with people who love lots of activity. Um, and I'm not just talking about you, person who thinks I'm just talking about you. Um, we like, we, we, we do stuff. We do big things, okay? But God always looks for the one who, though it's not very big, it's genuine righteousness. It's genuine hesed. It is his heart, right? That's why he talks about a mustard seed. It's why he talks about when he points to the widow who put in two mites. He says, she's given more than all of you Pharisees who gave out of your abundance. And so we have a picture here of, of, a, of, a, of an Israelite who is the son of a foreign woman who, man, he has learned that the way of God is the way, and I'm going to live by it, and I'm going to conduct my affairs in righteousness. And, a, and, and a, a widow who says, I have nothing, but neither does she. So I'm going to give my nothing to her so that she doesn't have to have nothing by herself. <laughs> and God says, yes, yes, you have every right to feel sorry for yourself. You have every right to go back with Orpah to Moab, but you have stuck with Naomi and you have turned her bitter life into something pleasant because of your friendship. Uh, so beautiful, beautiful pictures in here. So um, the, the points that I want to draw out are, I, I, I've mentioned them, right? That God used, um, God, he, he, he can use the judges sort of in spite of themselves. But he really brings Christ into the world through the likes of Ruth and Boaz. Small sphere, big righteousness. Um, and the other point is that that Naomi's, I'm sorry, Ruth's, I keep getting them mixed up. I apologize. I, probably all through this teaching I have referred to Naomi as Ruth and Ruth to Naomi. Um, that Ruth's devotion to uh, to Naomi is one of the most beautiful things in all of Scripture. And, and a lot of times we, we hear that verse um, we hear that verse recited at weddings because it is a very uh, deeply relational, covenantal way of, of saying, my gods will be your gods, I'm going to cling to you, where you go, I'll go, and, and thus be it to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Um, but I think we actually cheapen it by only reading that verse at weddings. Why don't we read that verse when someone gets baptized? Why don't we read that verse when someone joins a home group? <laughs> when we commit our lives to each other? Because this is, this is real relationship. 
this is real love, okay? Uh, and so what hesed is, is not a feeling towards someone, but it's a concrete, tangible, uh, factual thing, action that someone has taken. And it's something that like, so Boaz can say, I know what you've done, so I know what kind of person you are. See that? I've heard what you've done, so I know who you are. Because you can't do that. You don't, you don't do those kinds of things unless you're a kind of person, right? And this is how we come to know God. He shows us what he has done, right? And it's, we want to know how he feels about us, but he keeps showing us what he's done, right? Does he love me? Does he have my best interests in mind? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus. Yeah, but does he really? You have to look at him. Look at Jesus. He loves you. This is for God in this way loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God's constantly answering our questions and our doubts about how he feels about us. He's constantly answering those with concrete actions. And so often we don't stop and reflect on the actions and we get caught up in this emotional thing. But God wants us to stop, consider who he is. And this is why the word of God is so powerful. It's a testament of the concrete actions of God that tell us who he is. You cannot read this and read through scripture and, and look at all the things that God has done and then say, you know, I'm still not sure if I should do everything that he says. <laughs> You've not... You've not read, you've not seen who he is. You've not understood the message, all right? And so um, here in the Ten Commandments, God spoke all these words, this is Exodus 20, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love, that's hesed, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There's two words there. I show hesed to those who love me. And that love is the word that Ruth did to Naomi. She loves me. That's what, that's what Naomi said. She loves me. Uh, and she shows uh, steadfast love. So what I do shows you who I am. And this is what the story of, of, of Ruth tells us. Um, why is he a worthy man? Because of what he does. Why is she an admirable woman? Because of what she has done. And so God wants us to do things, not big things, righteous things, steadfast love things, chesed things in the small scale. And that is what brings Christ into the earth. Amen. Um, 
broke all of my promises to not go very long. Um, but this is good stuff. We need, we need to hear this. Um, we need to drink deep of this. And we need to shake ourselves free of some of the things that, we, uh, that, that, that hang us up. Right? Naomi, Naomi started to interpret life not by looking at who God is, but by her circumstances, right? And, and the other thing that the story of Ruth tells us is that, you know, circumstances really mean squat to God, uh, ultimately. Um, his redemptive purposes, his love towards us, his ability to bring, uh, to, to cause what people mean for evil and use it for good. God does, you know, we're so concerned with circumstances and God, it just doesn't even matter. This, all of this happened in the time of the judges to a, a, a widow whose sons also died. And it's like, okay, every everyone that, that feels like they're in a bad situation can just shut up now. <laughs> all right? Because, and I don't mean to... to to make light of any, of any real pain or suffering. But the, the point is this. We assign our, we, we want to change our name in the midst of, oh, this circumstance, it, I'm, I, uh, I used to be pleasant. Or I used to be, uh, yeah, I used to be pleasant, but now I'm bitter. Why? Because circumstances change. Did God change? No. And so we want to rename ourselves and recraft our identity based on what's happening to me now. But that's not, that's always the temptation that we have. To define ourselves, to name ourselves by what's currently happening to me. All right. And this is not who God says that we are. Uh, we should not turn to, 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 to name ourselves bitter uh, for any reason. Uh, we, we serve a God who can redeem and does redeem everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I hope you hear hope in this. Um, and uh, so with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the recording and uh, let this fly. And uh, I want to hear back what God is speaking to you through this. Uh, and I think that... Um, not just for you. I, I don't just want to hear from you uh, so I can hear it. Uh, but it, it's good to share what God is doing because then we can all hear God together more clearly. Um, so a lot of times an act of sharing is might be a little uncomfortable for you. Um, but let me tell you, when, when we share when, and when, when we disclose to each other a real moving of the Spirit, God can speak to all of us and can really... Uh, cause the truth to crystallize in our community in a unique way. So I do encourage you to um, share this. Uh, you don't have to share it maybe with, with everyone. If you would just want to share it with your home group, that's fine. Uh, but share your response to this. Share the, the particular response, the thing that God might be challenging you with this story of Ruth and with his, with his mercy and faithfulness. Um, and I look forward to kind of hearing, uh, hearing back from some of you. All right. Let's pray. The Lord bless you. Father, take this word and uh, in this limited way of uh, uh, doing this video and in this all these uh, circumstances that are unique. Uh, Lord, cut through all that. Holy Spirit, speak to the church what you need to speak to the church through this word. 
uh, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.